when I was with Jason, my first fiance, and I was about 27, 28, and I got pregnant for the first time, I legit said, I can't have this baby. It will stand in the way of my partying. And that was the first time. The second time, I'm fairly certain it was his, but it could have been one of a few other guys because, you know, I was very promiscuous. And then the other time was right when I got out of rehab. And I was one of it could have been one of two because I was still engaging in some of that behavior. And, you know, so I had the abortion and I didn't really realize that it affected me. And so when all this stuff came up about eight years sober and my sponsor had me do this deep sex inventory, and then go back through all these old original eight-step lists and address some of this. She goes, have you ever made amends to those unborn children? And I hadn't. And so she had me send them an honest letter. And um, I wrote these letters to them. And then, and then about a week later, I was at my home group. We have a call-up participation part at the beginning. And I was called up to speak. And I'm standing at the podium And at the time, there was a member who had a little toddler, and he was antsy. So another woman was walking up and down the side of the room, up and down the aisle, you know, with him on her hip. And I remember looking over there, and I felt the shame literally be pulled out of me. And God removed it. He removed it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. That was the voice of Miss Jenny L that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. But first things first here. This episode is brought to you by Miss Christina Christina went to our website called superspeak.com, clicked on the little yellow PayPal donate tab and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Miss Christina, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. So I, ladies and gentlemen, will be the host, or excuse me, not the host, but I will be the chairperson for this here meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to be serving all of you listening in. I sure do appreciate you tuning in. And just keep in mind, if you want to join our secret Facebook page, you can send me your email associated with your Facebook group, excuse me, with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. And uh, I will send you an invite and be more than happy to add you in. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at SoberSpeak, all one word. And you can look me up there. I read all my DMs. I like sounding very uh, hip, I guess, and saying DM. Nonetheless, how was your week? Mine was absolutely fantastic. This one was. Now I can tell you, not every week is a fantastic week but I had a good week this week. Um, We had a Sober Speak Live event last week. Brenda J was absolutely out of this world. Oh, we had a we had a big crowd. Of, um, what else do we have? We have music from Ms. Wendy Child. We had a, a great venue um, at a Grace Avenue United Methodist Church. Uh, we had some volunteers. We had Preston working our AV for us, and uh, it was just an absolute blast. And uh, 
Um, I've had many of you folks ask me already, uh, both uh, in person and then people that uh, have been writing in, if I will be publishing that Brenda J live event as an episode. And the answer is emphatically yes. I just got to, it just takes time to get all these things together, do the editing, get it published and all that kind of good stuff. But I will get it out, uh, look for it possibly next week and maybe the week after that, but I will be getting it out. And uh, I also have been asked if indeed there is going to be another another Sober Speak live event. And the answer is yes. Uh, I think it's going to be in March. I'm pretty darn sure it is, but let me get my ducks in a row and I will announce that uh, sometime soon. All right. So this is an email that I get, or actually I receive an email on a consistent basis from Ms. Bill C, Mr. Bill C. And I can't talk today. Nonetheless, I receive a, uh, an email from Bill C on a, a consistent basis. In fact, Bill C, you may have heard him. He's been on the podcast before and he will be coming back as well. But anyway, I've mentioned this in the past, but this week he sent out one that kind of caught my attention. He sends out a, I think it's a daily email. Um, and if you want to subscribe to it, by the way, you can subscribe to it. Just send him your, me- your email to billc at kitchentableaa.com. That's Bill. C at kitchentableaa.com. Just tell him you heard it on Sober Speak and you want to get on his uh, uh, email list. But nonetheless, he sent out an email and one of the pieces of his email caught my attention this week. And it is a quote from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it is on page 98. And it says this, Burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. And for whatever reason, I said, I'm going to read that on the podcast this week. And hopefully someone somewhere out there needs to hear that this week. Let me read it again. Burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. Once again, that's from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 98, if you want to look it up. All right, so let's get on to this week's episode. This is Miss Jenny L. And as you can tell from the opening clip, we will be discussing some adult topics during this episode. So I don't know how many of you listen to these things with your kids in the room, but just make sure that you know that this is a... uh, a mature slash adult topic type of episode. And uh, part of what I really appreciate about Jenny is her openness and her vulnerability. We're going to talk about things like financial debt. And so, so many of us have that right from the wreckage of our past and how to deal with that financial debt. We're going to talk about suicide. We talk about abusive relationships, um, promiscuity, abortion, a deep dive into a sex inventory. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Miss Jenny and we'll have some listener feedback at the end. Thanks. Okay, everybody. So today we are fortunate enough to be sitting here with Miss Jenny L. So Miss Jenny L, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you so wish to do so, ma'am. Hi, y'all. My name is Jenny L. And I have been kept sober by the grace of God since May 31st, 2007. And from the hi, y'all, everybody can figure out she is from Texas. I am (laughs) born and raised. All right. That's great. All right. So uh, Jenny and I uh, came across each other really in a couple of different ways. She is the chair for a large, very large meeting. I six, seven hundred people come in there every time for a city for a, for a meeting we have here in the area called Citywide. And she is also, I believe, he's your service sponsor, Mister Jimmy D. Is that right? Yes, he is my service sponsor and just a mentor. 
Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And Jimmy D, as you all who have been regular listeners on this uh, program will know that Jimmy D has been on here many times, at least three times, possibly a little bit more. All right. So, uh, so we wanted to get Jenny in here and do a recording. So Jenny, this is all about you. The first thing I wanted to ask you about is the, the little hashtag that you have when we, when I see you posting in our Facebook group, our secret Facebook group, or I see, or, or, or you just send me something via email. You've got a couple of them. One of them is hashtag get in the car. And the other one is hashtag just say yes. So why don't you tell us why you have adopted those two hashtags? Okay, I'd love to. Um, so initially, when I first got sober and was actually working with a sponsor and taking the steps, I was, I don't know, I was newly sober. And I would try to wiggle out of commitments, committed meetings, things like that. And my sponsor would tell me to just get in the car. And I'd say, oh, I'm so tired. I've worked an arduous three hours today. And just get in the car. And so that has been basically a principle that I have adopted all along. And then in, I think I was about five years sober, I was actually, I started doing something that wasn't AA related. It wasn't AA, but it was a, it was a financial thing that helped me get out of debt. And um, I had balked at it and said no and said no and said no. And this guy had said, do it, do it, do it. And finally, I was like, fine, okay. And I did it. And I won't really talk about it, but this guy had steps and behavior change, and I've done steps and behavior change. So I did this deal, and it changed my life around money and finances, and I was about $80,000 in debt from financial amends, restitution, all that stuff, and um, IRS, school loan, blah, blah, blah. So when I did that and it changed it, I was like, oh, my God, just say yes, so we never know what saying yes will do and how it will transform our lives. I mean, first of all, obviously, with with Alcoholics Anonymous, with the 12 steps, with God, but then anything a sponsor suggests, anything that maybe some random person, you know, says, hey, do this deal, and it changed my life around money. And, and then, of course, now I just hashtag just say yes and hashtag get in the car. <laughs> and you do get in the car. You go to a lot of events. You're involved in a lot of service. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, um, I am grateful to that sponsor because that sponsor got me into the book. She got me into service. She got me in the steps and she got me in the car. And those are the things that I was taught to do from the very beginning that I still practice today. In fact, all the things that I do shaking hands at meetings, greeting the newcomer, or not even a newcomer, you know, anyone that walks in that I don't know, picking up trash, um, just all these ways to be of service, then the various service commitments that I do, whether it's that event you mentioned, or chairing a meeting at my home group, or speaking, or, um, you know, just obviously sitting down one-on-one with with somebody, Um that has absolutely changed my life. And I feel like those actions are steps one, two, and three in practice. You know, they're not theory. They're what I do. Because you see, I was willing to go to any length for alcohol. And, you know, I accessorized my drinking with a whole bunch of other things. And I walked out of a treatment center in the pouring rain. I um, one time was on my way to Louisiana to meet an unsavory character (laughs) to get... um, dry goods, we'll just say, um, (laughs) that I didn't even particularly like, um, because I couldn't find anything in Dallas, and talk about willing to go to any length. And so, so the get in the car and the just say yes is I mean, I I did that for alcohol. So I'm going to do it for my program, because I don't want to die. And I have this amazing life today because of because of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, you know, practicing, obviously, the 12 steps, the 12 traditions and the 12 concepts, but also those principles of hashtag just say yes and get in the car. <laughs> An unsavory character to pick up dry goods. I love that. Mm, yeah, he may or may not have been a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> we make great choices. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. All right. So, you know, you talked about the great life that you have today uh, through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've heard bits and pieces of your story. You know, as you know, we come in here, tell what we were like, what happened and what we are like now. So let's go a little bit back into your history. Let's uh, you know, where did you, you grew up here in Texas, right? I, I did. And... So talk to me. I mean, give me a thumbnail sketch of your childhood up into your teen hit, teen years. Okay. So I grew up, actually, I grew up in the area that was just hit by the Dallas tornado, you know, five days ago. And um, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. And, and um, you know, really, I came from a good family. My parents are still together. They have, they have their own dysfunctions, but alcoholism runs on both sides of the family tree. It's just further up the chain. But for all intents and purposes, I actually had a really good home life. Um, you know, I, I was taken care of and loved and my parents participated in things. In fact, you know, they were at too many things that I wasn't super thrilled about in high school, but I never really felt like I was a part of all my life. I never really felt like I was good enough. And, um, I heard someone once describe it as an incredible, unshedable burden of self-consciousness, where everywhere I go, this voice in my head says, I'm not enough. And I never felt like I was enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not enough. And, you know, never, you know, everyone says not comfortable in my own skin, um, not not participate. I was young for my grade. So I didn't really mature with the kids when they started liking, you know, the opposite sex, I was still kind of young and sort of playing with my Barbies, stuff like that. And so that was that was more childhood. And I was a big nerd. So I was very active in the high school newspaper, academic decathlon, sports, that kind of stuff. Okay, so take me then up to your teenage years. When did you start to get involved? And drugs and or alcohol or whatever you want to talk about. So I actually started drinking pretty late for most of us. My my um, first drunk of any consequence, I was actually 17 and I was on a church camping trip. And my boyfriend and, and another guy had driven up to the campsite uh, later, not in the church van. And we had managed to get some alcohol. And I didn't actually drink it because I was a good girl. But some of the other kids had gotten drunk. And then later, we were at a campsite and some random drunk dude brings us like a, a bucket of margaritas. And I guess I, you know, I just decided to drink that at that point, I didn't say yes to the beer. But I drank the margaritas. And I vividly remember having the little white styrofoam cup. And I remember dipping it into the margarita. And I remember the sip because you know, the t margaritas are tasty. I remember what it tasted like. But more than anything, I remember how it made me feel. Because I could feel relief, that sense of ease and comfort, you know, but I could breathe all the way to my toes. And I didn't really realize as I'm sitting at this picnic table with my boyfriend on one side and that friend of ours on the other and my sister and people I'd known my whole life. And I'm sitting there just this ball of fear with my shoulders just up against my ears hunched up kind of tense and, and paralyzed because of just you know, anxiety, fear that, you know, the book talks about the bedevilments that that unmanageability of, you know, all of it. So that was your first drink. Mm -hmm. That was my first drink. And I remember drinking that whole little cup down. And then I remember dipping it into the bucket and drinking it down and dipping it in. And I don't think I let anybody get any of that margarita. Um, and then we were um, pretty wasted. And then the boyfriend and I decided that we were going to go back down to our tent to have sex, like you do. And um, it was probably not the greatest of ideas because the church counselor's tent was right across the way from where our tent was. It was also probably not a great idea because my mother works at that church. But um, we decided that we were going to do that. And I tried to get up from the table and I kind of sat back down real fast because I was very wasted. And in fact, my boyfriend and then the other guy kind of hoisted me up and had to carry me back down the road to where our tent was from where the, we were sitting. And I couldn't even 
move my legs. Like I couldn't walk. I was that wasted. And that was the first time that I really drank, drank, and it had an effect on me. Um, And then what happened on that trip was the boyfriend and I go back and we just, we start having sex. And then the other guy decides that he is going to jump in. And so I ended up having a threesome on this church camping trip. And, um, you know, that happened. And I don't want to get in any arguments over what really happened. But I know for myself that time that I drank, I don't know what would have possessed me to drink a gallon of margaritas. But I was in such, you know, I was in no way, shape or form able to make a conscious decision of saying no, don't do this. I don't want to do this. Like every bit of it was a poor decision. (laughs) You know, and that's the first time that I drank from like zero to 160. So I don't want to leave that quite yet because I'm. My guess is how you saw that when you were in that moment versus how you saw it when you sobered up may have brought some revelation. Is there anything that came out of that once you sobered up and thinking about that entire first drink? Um, not really. Other than just wow, I think really for me it 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 solidifies the nature of the allergy because what would possibly possess me to have that little tiny cup and then drink all that much like the first time that I drank. Um, years later, when I was doing some deeper work around like a sex inventory about eight years sober, you know, it was brought up that that guy raped me. Um, I don't you know, possibly, yes, but I don't really look at that. I just want to look at what happens to me and my choices when I put alcohol in my body. And back then, I had to mask that with rock on, I chose to have a threesome on a church camping trip. But deep inside, I was full of guilt. I was full of shame. My parents found out about it. There was a huge meeting at the church with all the parents, all the staff and, you know, humiliation Right for me and my family. Do you what do you remember about that meeting? I mean, for you inside is what I'm getting at. Just feeling awful, but then also feeling mad at my friends who were also drinking because remember they had had beer and they were also they called it you know heen and sheen so guys sleeping in the tents with the girls I mean nobody else did what I did but they certainly had engaged in behaviors and you know one of my friends you know her mom thought she was a saint and you know I remember being mad about that (laughs) (laughs) like hey what about you (laughs) well you know so here's what strikes me is we're we're barely into your story and you've already talked about two major things that alcoholics deal with when they get sober number one is finances and what am i going to do with these finances and the other is sex inventory and you know looking at my part and you know where was and it can get very complicated right and so, and that proves to me, though, you're doing the work, right? And this is what will scare people away sometimes is that I don't want to look at that. Oh, you know? yeah. And I know, I mean, even in my sobriety, when later on, in, you know, about eight years, I already mentioned doing some deeper work around some shame that was coming up. And it had it had really started bubbling to the surface. And at my former home group, now I forgot to mention my home group is the Chicago group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Dallas, Texas, we meet on Wednesday nights at 7pm. And it's the best home group in the whole wide world. And I also have a sponsor and she has a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor. And that's as far up the chain I know. And then I also sponsor women and some of them sponsor women. Anyway, there's my spiel on that. Um, uh, oh my gosh! And now I've totally derailed about where I was going with you were that talking train about of thought. Eight years. Oh yeah. So I was doing some deeper work because the shame from all the stuff that I had done in my past was starting to come up, and I started talking about it at my former home group and with women, but also at my former home group was a. Uh, gentleman who I had prostituted myself with. And so he was still treating me like a prostitute. And I'm eight years sober by this point. I'm totally a transformed person. You know, I'm married like, like that doesn't matter. But he was still he was still abusive to me in my safe place. But what I look at him now as um, was spiritual sandpaper 
to get that stuff as it was coming up to really just be willing to face it. And, um, you know, I firmly believe in the quote on page 124 about how, you know, our dark past becomes our greatest asset. And if we're willing to turn the past into good account and, you know, rectify our errors, then, um, then, you know, and then help people like cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And I'm willing to face this stuff. And a lot of people told me, no, don't look that way. You know, I mean, there's a quote in the literature about that, where our pride or ego says, don't look that way. And I have to because I will die. I will die. I am an alcoholic to the core. And I don't want to live the way that I was living or feel the way that I was feeling ever again. And so I'm willing to do the work. Absolutely. And share about it. Right. God bless you. I love your vulnerability. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So there's the first drink. There's the meeting at the church. And I can tell some things happen between that meeting at the church and when you got sober, right? A few things. Just a few. <laughs> Just a few things here and there. So, first of all, did you, and I must have missed it. Did you say your sobriety date at the beginning? Of I did. And May, what is that I didn't Well, write? it's May 31st, 2007, but I'm not entirely sure that it's actual day because um, I wasn't fully paying attention because I had had, orig- I had had an original sobriety date in January of that year. And I had gotten in some trouble. And so I was on probation. And I had had a few, I won't call them relapses, because I had never actually started working a program. So I, let me back up. So I was locked up for pretty much all of 2006. I got out of treatment, um, a hardcore behavior modification program, courtesy of Dallas County. Thank you. What's a hardcore behavior modification program look like? It's like like jail rehab. It's a therapeutic community and they have all sorts of, you know, rules and stuff. And it's like boot camp-ish. Does it help? Um, it helped. I did find at times that there were some of the things that I had learned in treatment, like, you know, say like being in a, a work meeting and people are talking amongst their sel- themselves. Um, if that happened in treatment, we would do these things called pull-ups and say, I'm pulling you up for being disrespectful and defocusing, like not paying attention to what was going on. And when I was, um, I led these production meetings at my old job, they would be talking amongst themselves and I would be like, I'm pulling you up, but I couldn't do that at the job. <laughs> so there were things that I did find helpful, but I mean, really, truly the main thing for me, um, you know, was the fact that people came in from Alcoholics Anonymous and carried the message and started explaining the doctor's opinion in English I understood <laughs> and started walking me through that so that I could start learning about alcoholism. Now, it wasn't enough for my step one moment, which came later, and you were asking me what my sobriety date was, and I said I didn't know because I had had that original sobriety date in January, but I had um, experimented from when I got out of treatment on December 12th, 06. And I had tried things to change the way I feel. And so in January, first sobriety date, but I didn't have a program, didn't have a God, didn't have a sponsor, was not doing anything. I was just, you know, white knuckling it or trying to do things on my own. And then in May of that year, I had my little lame last hurrah, but it was a full on step one surrender. Okay. So I want to bring up something here real quick. I am looking at you, you uh, brought over some pictures that are very actually uh, disturbing. They're kind of tough to look at. Those are some pictures of you. Um, Can you, um, can you kind of describe to the listeners what I'm looking at right now and when those occurred and um, just talk about those. So 2005 was my worst year. And what I brought to you were my first selfies that were taken on a really old camera phone. And they were not even called selfies back then. And I, um, you know, I took pictures of me after I was beat up by this guy that I was dating. And because I wanted to prove to you how, you know, what he had done to me. And so on my, I guess my 
eye socket just under my eye is this huge knot. Like it's almost like it's so huge to me. It's kind of one of those ones like in a cartoon, like that it's so pronounced. And then my lip is um, busted and swollen and my cheek is busted, you know, and swollen and it's bruised. And one of the pictures that grabs me the most is I just have this absolute vacant look in my eyes. Um, not on the printout, but when I emailed them to myself so I can see it digitally, there absolutely just is no spark there. The book talks about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and that's absolutely what I was living and feeling. And I had wanted to die. I tried to kill myself numerous times, and nothing worked. Nothing worked. And I just, that look is, there's nothing there. And so when people see me today and they see, you know, a woman that's pretty put together and, you know, a good sense of style, I guess. I like to think I have a great sense of style. And um, but they look at me and they look at that outside stuff. And then, of course, the I think that that outside is indicative of the transformation that's happened on the inside. And then they see that inner light and they see that light in my eyes. You know, Bill talked about the light in Ebby's eyes. And um, I show him these pictures because sometimes even speaking with depth and weight visually, when you look at someone, you're like, no way, like, no way did you do that? Like, they just think I'm lying. And then I show the pictures and uh, they're like, oh, <laughs> whoa. All right, let me take a brief uh, pause here. We will be continuing our conversation with Jenny L. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. There you'll find uh, over 100 other episodes that you can listen to for free. And on that site, you can also find the donate button and you can use that if and only if the spirit moves you to use it. Uh, Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listeners. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any cause is this is strictly service work. All right. Now back to Miss Jenny. All right. So you're in some abusive relationships, obviously, at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've gone through a suicide attempt. Uh, you talked about prostitution. Um, uh, so, so there's a lot of things going on, obviously. Where, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? I mean, what got you into Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's back, honestly, was two little key bumps of cocaine and the nastiest 40 ounce of alcohol you could, you know, like beer that it, you could possibly buy with dimes and nickels because I had no money. That was my last hurrah and it was really rather lame. But what it was, was my full on surrender. Because like I said, I had, um, yes, I'd been in numerous abusive relationships. I have some escapades that landed me in a criminal judicial treatment center. Um, I, um, you know, tore through everybody, you know, my friends, my family, even even the low down degenerate criminal friends I had were sick of me. I even dated a Coke dealer at one point who sent me home to my mother because he said I had a problem. <laughs> oh, that's and, not uh, good. <laughs> yeah, Coke yeah, dealer sends you home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here, take her. Um, and and none of that worked. I mean, the the trips to jail, the just the abuse, the none of those problems that pile up, those consequences, nothing worked to get me to stop. I mean, it was just, it, it, it takes what it takes, right? And, um, you know, someday at the end of May in 2007, when my friend said, hey, come, do you want to come party? And I said, yes, I do. And no thought crowded into the mind to deter me of the, you know, consequences. Like I was already on thin ice with probation. I knew that if I, you know, relapsed again, that I would be looking at prison time and, 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 um, you have a warrant out for my arrest and I don't care. And so I got in the car and drove to her house and she had a tiny little bag of cocaine. I was expected to share. (laughs) I mean, I did, but, um, and then that made, you know, it just, it made me need a drink 
And um, I came back to my sober living apartment complex. And by this point, I was living with a, a guy, of course. And um, yeah, had my last drink in a paper bag in my closet that I bought with dimes and nickels because it's all I could afford. So, I, and I, I've heard uh, bits and pieces of your story once before. And I remember there was a guy who you chopped up his car or something like that. Can oh, you... yes. I would. Yeah. You wanted me to tell you about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was living in an apartment I couldn't afford and um, had moved out of another abusive relationship and was barely working. And so, of course, you go get an apartment when you work four hours a week. No problem. So anyway, I got evicted from that place. And I had been introduced to a guy by a woman who was, she was not really my best friend. I just used her to buy me alcohol and pizza and she would loan me money at times so I could buy accessories. And um, I was in a blackout and she needed me to buy him accessories one night. And I don't remember meeting him, but he remembered meeting me. You know, apparently he came back over later and um, I was getting evicted. So I needed a place to live. And so he'll do. He had a roof he had a swimming pool. He had cable. He'd buy my <laughs> vodka, cigarettes, food if I chose to eat it. And um, literally, this guy made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I moved in with him. And we we hid my car in the garage so the girl wouldn't know that I was living there. And very quickly, that turned very abusive. And he would fling me around like a rag doll and just up and down and hit the walls. And I remember one time... I was trying to get away from him and I was trying to crawl out like, I think they're transom windows, like skinny windows, like up high by like the, where the wall and the ceiling are. And I was on a bed and was going to try to dive out the window to get out because he had burglar um, iron bars on all the uh, doors and you couldn't get out without a key. And I didn't have a key and he um, pulled me off the bed and I landed like on my elbow and, you know, and, I'm ab- I'm I'm not a victim. I absolutely put myself in this position. But he was beating me up, beating me up, and I decided and oh, he'd pull guns on me too. And I decided that I wanted to get back at him. And so I had had this brilliant idea and I ran it by some of my friends and my criminal degenerate friends said this is not a good idea. But I wanted what I wanted what I wanted it and I wanted to hurt him. And so what I did was I decided that I was going to take his Chevy Tahoe, which I think is like a $40,000 truck. Um, and so it's like a big SUV. And I chopped it, meaning I sold it for parts. And I chopped it for a 100 bucks, a bag of Cheetos, some Gatorade and a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> maybe a Snickers. <laughs> Oh, yeah. my goodness. So, How, so I, did he find out about it? Well, this? he did find out about it. And um, that's why I have a felony for a burglary of habitat for that stunt. Um, in fact, also on that, um, those charges were that I allegedly crawled in through his doggy door and stole other things. And actually, a girl I knew had done that crime. And one time I was at a nude meeting at my old home group and she walked in and she told me that it was her. And so I was like, oh my God, thank God. Like that really happened. And like, you're sober, I'm sober. It's all good. That's all my criminal charges. But uh, yeah, so I got to pay back a Tahoe in restitution. And then actually I also broke into this other guy's house. So I have two felony for burglary, burglary of habitats. And uh, <laughs> he told me he'd take care of me and he reneged and wouldn't give me money. So I relieved him of his DVD player and some stuff and pawned it. And I gave him the pawn tickets back. I thought, I'm like, what? You can go get your stuff. Duh. But he pressed charges. To me, it's a little funny. You were indignant about the uh, the doggy door thing when you had actually chopped up his uh, Tahoe, well, which was the big one. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I'm like, well, you know, like I didn't steal your dob kit. <laughs> I mean, really? Like a dob kit, you know, like your toiletries for travel. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's, so let, let's jump on forward now then to to your entree into Alcoholics Anonymous and then your time in Alcoholics Anonymous and and what your life has been like, you know, um, basically how you turned it around is what I'm looking for. 
Oh my gosh, so much. Um, well, God turned it around with the action and the work that I do in taking the steps and doing the work, you know, consistently on a, on a daily basis. I mean, it talks about in 10, you know, we have this daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And so, you know, reprieve, like, you know, I thought that that word meant like we have a little break, but really it means a delay of death sentence. And so there's work that I have to do on a continual day-to-day basis to stay connected to that higher power that's going to solve my problem, right? And, um, you know, if I was committed to what I was doing out there, I've got to be just as committed in here. You know, half measures avail is nothing. And like I said, I don't want to die. So I was taught all these things from the very beginning that I still do today. And I have to continue to seek and enlarge, you know, my spiritual life. I have to continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And so, um, you know, the things that worked for me back then don't necessarily, um, I mean, the basics work, like, but I have to continue to grow. And, and, and change. And so, you know, what that means adding in new commitments, or I had to leave a home group after 10 years, because it was, it was, you know, I was no longer growing there. Um, you know, I, I've had to uh, walked out of a marriage. And when I was five years sober, now it, I fully put myself there and like ignored all the bouquet of red flags he handed me. Um, but you know, that was gut wrenching pain and sobriety, but I have to be willing, you know, and the book says how I must not shrink in anything. And so continuing to try to face and rectify those errors, make those amends, like when stuff comes up, when, even when, say, like with an original eight step list, when a sponsor would say, hey, like my first fiance, um, who we had a lot going on, um, you know, my first sponsor said, leave him alone. But then years later, when I was starting to have some stuff surface, like that shame stuff, and then some stuff of like um, abortions that I had had, he, um, he was, two of those babies were his. And my sponsor at the time said, you know, let's, let's reach out to him. And I did. And so being willing to when that stuff comes up, maybe further on down the road, even though maybe a sponsor back then had said, no, don't do it. But when God places it on my heart to, to take that action, you know, and be willing, hey, this came up today, you think it's time? And, you know, some a lot of times it's it's been time. Okay, so... Sometimes I, I I don't go with my gut and the different questions I have. Sometimes I do. Uh, and at this point, what I'm really kind of thinking in the back of my head is this. You have a lot of uh, women, especially, yeah, you know, that are listening to this, who have experienced abortion. And maybe they've not talked about it out loud, yeah. but they've had it. And they're dealing with that and trying to get sober at the same time. You also have a lot of women who are, and you have men too, but primarily women who are in abusive relationships and they don't know how to get out. Now, we are not counselors, so to speak, but I do want you to share your experience in how you dealt with both the abortions and then the physical violence and in removing your what what were the turning points within those particular situations for you? Oh my gosh! Okay, so fortunately for me, as far as the abusive relationships, really all of those were prior to getting sober. I made better choices in recovery. Now I'm not perfect, but you know I got like the guy that I chose to be in a relationship fresh out of my sober living because I just wanted to get out of sober living. He has values and principles that are absolutely against everything I stand for and believe. But so our picker is broke. <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't make that choice today and wouldn't have made it three years sober even. And thank God, just thank God. I always phrase it this way. We we uh, get sober, then we strap on our wacko magnets yeah, yeah, and go right? find somebody for us. Yeah, I mean, he'll do. He was sitting next to me at my awful job. Anyway, whatever. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely person now. Um, but uh, 
Yeah. So fortunately, I didn't have as much of the abusive relationship thing in sobriety. So I have no experience with that. Um, Only with maybe women I've sponsored and that it was almost harder for them to break that cycle. But I don't really want to speak to that because it's, it's not within like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and I don't have experience. But definitely the abortion thing for me, you know, alcoholism robbed me of motherhood. And I mean, I made these choices. I, when I was with Jason, my first fiance, and I was about 27, 28, and I got pregnant for the first time, I legit said, I can't have this baby. It will stand in the way of my partying. And that was the first time. The second time, I'm fairly certain it was his, but it could have been one of a few other guys because, you know, I was very promiscuous. And then the other time was right when I got out of rehab and I was one of it could have been one of two because I was still engaging in some of that behavior. And, um, you know, so I had the abortion and I didn't really realize that it affected me because, you know, I don't want to get into the whole like pro-choice da da da. But for me, that like I was okay with that. And, and maybe not so much anymore because of what it had done to my heart and soul. Um, but these are choices that I made and, um, I could never participate with say like coworkers with baby showers. And I never really was one of those women that wanted to be a mom and I've never been like, Ooh, baby. Um, but I was very removed and very aloof and cold. And in fact, one year I was sponsoring a woman who really wanted to get pregnant and, you know, was really having difficulties doing that. And I just, I couldn't be present for her. And so when all this stuff came up about eight years sober and my sponsor had me do this deep sex inventory and then go back through all these old original eight step list stuff and address some of this. She goes, have you ever made amends to those unborn children? And I hadn't. And so she had me send them an honest letter. And um, I wrote these letters to them. And then um, she had me do some other stuff that it's not in the book. And it was amazing as far as a healing kind of deal. And I'm so very grateful to her for that. And um, I did this. And then about a week later, I was at my home group. And we have a call up participation part at the beginning. And I was called up to speak. And I'm standing at the podium. And at the time, there was a member who had a little toddler. And he was antsy. He's like 18 months or two years old or something. So another woman was walking up and down the side of the room, up and down the aisle, you know, with him on her hip, just you know, keeping them occupied. And I remember looking over there and I felt the shame literally be pulled out of me and God removed it. He removed it. And, um, which is an amazing deal because, you know, last year sometime I got a new sponsee who was pregnant. And so I was able to be present for that. But then after that, I found out my sister was pregnant And so I have this amazing like six and a half month old niece that is the most amazing thing ever. And I can fully see the miracle of this deal. And I'm not going to have my own kids. That ship has sailed. Um, So, you know, this my niece is, oh, she's going to be so spoiled, but that I get to be present and that I'm sober because I rip forward through my sister's life and, you know, lots of stuff with my sister and my past and, you know, that relationship is healed. Um, but, oh my God, that baby. Like, I think I need to go see her after this. <laughs> As you should. And it's a miracle because if we're willing to face this stuff, if we're willing to do the work, and it was it was hard. It's not easy. And, you know, I'm kind of tearing up now. It's mostly gratitude because I'm just grateful that God can transform these things that just, God, these things we think that are so shameful and awful and horrendous. And, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not proud of it, um, but man, what a life we get to lead in here. We, we get to be reborn. Talks about that in those third step promises. But we have to continue to do the work. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily do the work. Um, somebody once talked about that AA is like a banana split. 
and you can come in and get the banana and a scoop of ice cream and they're done. And then some people come in and get a banana and a couple scoops of ice cream and maybe chocolate sauce. And they go through the whole gamut of making a banana split. And then some come in and get the banana and the three scoops of ice cream, the three sauces, the whipped cream, the nuts and the cherry on top. And, you know, my wish is everyone gets the cherry on top. But they may just want the banana and a scoop of ice cream. And I got to be okay with that. That's right. I want the cherry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I have it, I think. <laughs> While you were talking there, it made me think of that line from The Promises. It says, uh, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. But they are there for us. Okay, so I know that you were interested in reading from, I believe, page 100 as we started to wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to say, though, before we actually go on to page 100? Oh, my goodness. I mean, just do the work. Take the steps, you know. Um, a, a a really good friend of mine, his sponsor says to avail yourself of everything that Alcoholics Anonymous has to offer. And, you know, I had learned the just say yes thing. And so to, to continue to seek and grow, to do these commitments, to be of service in your home group, to um, reach your hand out to someone because you never know who you're going to impact. You know, when someone asks you to speak, do it, even though you might be terrified, just walk through that fear. You know, I um, ended up getting to speak at that citywide meeting two years ago in the very room that was like the shame of that church camping trip that's thing. where they had those same meetings yes wow yeah and i mean god's got jokes it was the same day as i was arrested in 2006 february 11th you know ha ha and um so just don't you know don't sell yourself short like if you you know ask for help get a sponsor you know do what they say they're not suggestions just do it <laughs> and um and then you know continue to grow and and you know it, it can look like the if we're living right, you know, and maybe going to work and not stealing from our jobs and stuff, we might be able to start having nice things. And it can look like that that's the solution for Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, for alcoholism, but it's not. And so to just continue to be, you know, committed and consistent and do this deal. Um, and then like, you just never know what what can happen. Like you never know. And I think that that really leads into this this promise, you know, you mentioned the ninth step promises, and those were certainly the ones that I saw at my first um, outside meeting when I was in treatment. And they're obviously the ones that are on the wall so many places. But oh my gosh, there's like 150 in this book. I mean, you know, there's awesome ones. And this one is the one that I love the most. And um, a man that was very uh, important to me, who's no longer with us, he had kind of read it once and it stuck. And, you know, I'd love to wrap up with it. That'd be great. Um, it's on page 100 in working with others. And it says that, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. And that is an amazing promise if you do the work and we're just walking, you know, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, walking each other home in here. And it's a really amazing, amazing deal. And I'm so grateful to be here and be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming over, Jenny. I appreciate it. I know a lot of people are going to be blessed by this. And uh, uh, you made my day. You know, um, when I start these things, I pray that we can grow closer to God and we can grow closer to each other. And um, I can tell you for me, uh, both those goals were accomplished today. Well, awesome. All right. You take care. And uh, thanks again, Jenny. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you, Miss Jenny, for coming in here to record your story. 
It is much appreciated, and uh, I love that passage that Jenny read from the big book uh, while as she was wrapping up the episode. Uh, and just in case you didn't catch the uh, page number on that, that is page 100 in the big book if you want to go look that up for yourself. So anyway, thanks again, Miss Jenny. All right, now on to a little bit of listener feedback. And Ray actually left me a voicemail. And the way he did that is he paused his device and there is a link in the show notes that says leave a message. And uh, that comes directly to me. And in the message itself, John wanted to know about one of the other guests that had been featured on the podcast in the past. And uh, it was John M., who he was inquiring about. No, not me, John M., another John M. that had recorded an episode with me. And uh, he was reaching out. He wanted to know about him. So I reached out to John M. and said, hey, Ray is reaching out and he wants to know about you and how you're doing because Ray, excuse me, John M. had been experiencing some difficulties. And John M. said, Thanks for reaching out, John. In short, I have survived the divorce process, have successfully moved on from sober living to my own apartment seven months ago, have maintained my sobriety, which has allowed me to go from seeing my kids four hours a week with supervision to overnights on the weekends at my place. And I'm reworking the steps with my sponsor while attending three plus meetings a week. Let me know if you need any more. Thanks for reaching out. And I hope you and your family have a wonderful Christmas, John M. So it was so good to hear that John M. is doing well, and I have wondered about him many times myself. And I, read, I reached back out to Ray to give him that message, actually via an email, and Ray himself wrote back in and said, Hey, John, thank you so much for getting back to me with this update. My, art, my heart aches for those who don't stick around long enough to let the miracles happen. I know what you're talking about, Ray. They sure have happened for me. He says, I live in Noblesville, Indiana, which is just north of Indianapolis. My sobriety date is August 19th of 2003. I was two, I was 37 when I got sober finally, and Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. I was very active in the How It Works group in Indianapolis for my first nine to 10 years or so, but then I moved and never found the connection with a new group and never really started got back to going to meetings. I do have a sponsor and I meet up with him to get my yearly token. What happened to me, and I'm sure is very common, <clears throat> excuse me, folks, is that I got sober. I had a two-year-old little boy and my wife was eight months pregnant with our second child. In 2007, we had our third child. Then life happened. I'm a small business owner, father, husband, coach, and friend of and a friend, and AA taught me how to successfully live life one day at a time, no matter what comes my way. So, after moving to Noblesville seven years ago, I have not been able to go to meetings on a regular basis. I do practice the program in my daily living. I coach middle school girls basketball. My daughter is 12, and these people have no idea that I was a fall-down drunk who could get up in who couldn't get up in the morning without first finding where the vodka was. Hey, you know what? I understand that uh, we, when I say we, all of us in Alcoholics Anonymous have a tendency to, quote, blend in very well. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, back to his uh, letter. I now have a freshman in college and sophomore in high school, and I keep feeling the tug to get back to AA. That is how I found your podcast. I have always listened to sober to speaker leads online, but I heard your podcast and it was different. It was like my old home group. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And I got the feeling that I know exactly who these people are. So thank you for what you do and reaching out to me. God bless you and your family, your friend, Danae A. Ray M. Well, Ray M., this is John M., thanking you, my friend. And uh, hey, why don't you listen to that little tug and get back on into those meetings, all right? All right, Rebecca writes in from New Zealand, and she says, Kia Ora, John. 
She had said that in a previous email, and I was trying to figure out what it means. And she also said, Naga Mihi means thank you, because I was asking her what that means. That's a N-G-A-M-I-H-I. Uh, and so she says, I came across Soberspeak on Spotify, and I was looking for a, quote, meeting between meetings, and it has been fantastic. I got sober as a young adult, and I looked like a young adult at the time, but I can't say I behaved like one. <laughs> I live with my husband and 17-year-old daughter, and I trudge the road to Happy Destiny. I think actually in the book, it's of Happy Destiny, isn't it? Anyway, I feel like I've grown up in AA. I am fortunate to have family members who are also in AA. <coughs> Excuse me, folks, NA and Al-Anon. So I always knew there was something that might be able to help me. Thanks for inviting me to the secret Facebook group, Rebecca. Well, you are quite welcome, Rebecca, and Kia Ora to you, and Naga Mihi. I hope I have that right. Anyway, Jason writes in, and Jason says, Hi, John, my name is Jason. I am 30 years old, and I am an alcoholic. Welcome to the club. I have been listening to your podcast for the past month and a half. I am early on my road to recovery. I have a home group, and I have a sponsor, and I have been working the steps since the beginning of September, and I am in outpatient, I'm in an outpatient treatment program. Can I please get into your super secret Facebook group? My email is such and such. Well, Jason, as you know, we got you that invite, and I'm so glad you're there. And just in case I can't remember if I mentioned this on the beginning of this episode or not, but if you, ladies and gentlemen, would like to join the Super Secret Facebook group, by the way, Dave came up with that name, Super Secret. Um, if you'd like to join it, uh, send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John Georgian at Superspeak.com. All right, Abby writes in from the United Kingdom. She says, Hi, John. I received the invite in it. She says you received the invite to the Secret Super Facebook group as well. And I, I have accepted. Thank you. I am from Worcestershire. Worcestershire? Yeah. Worcestershire. Is that? Now, I wonder if they, I wonder if this is where that steak sauce came from. That, uh, not steak sauce, but yeah, steak uh, seasoning or whatever it is, or just Worcestershire sauce. But anyway, she says, I'm from Worcestershire and I am thoroughly fed up with alcohol playing a large part in my thoughts and a, and a detrimental part in my health. I have planned to cut down for a long time, but just cannot quite manage it. So I am hoping to give it up completely now. I find online groups so good for sharing thoughts and experiences with others. Soberspeak came up in someone's recommendation from a web search, and then I found the front page of the Facebook group stating it was a secret group. Thanks for adding me in there. Well, you're welcome, Abby. And I look forward to contributing to the group. Kind regards, Abby. Well, you're quite welcome, Abby. I hope you make it to some meetings here eventually, too. That would be fantastic. Let me know if you have any questions in that regard. All right. Stevie writes in. He says, excuse me. Uh, she says, my apologies. Hi, John. This is Stevie. My husband and I came into the program in March of two, six, 2016 after over 20 years together, our sobriety dates are four years apart, and we have our own separate individual AA programs. It does make talking to another alcoholic very easy to do every day when you live with one. <laughs> yes, it does. We live in Denton, Texas, which is right down the street from me, folks, and we call the Friendship Group our home. Well, shout out to the Friendship Group. In fact, I just recently told my story there. But anyway, she says, Millie H., who I know, I love Millie H., is my grand sponsor and shared with us the information for the Sober Speak Live meeting with Fris in Frisco with Jimmy D. Uh, since then, I have been listening to Sober Speak podcasts on a regular basis between meetings, and we just saw Brenda J. live. Oh, that's this last week on 12-6-19. Well, I'm so glad you were able to be there for both live events. Anyway, 
She says, both Jimmy D and Brenda are fantastic. I do have to agree, Miss Stevie. And she says, I realize that my favorite speaker is always the most recent one I listen to <laughs> because I always find something in their experience, strength, and hope to relate to and to incorporate them into my program. Thank you for what you do, John. God bless you, Stevie C. Well, thank you, Miss Stevie. I appreciate it. I appreciate you and your husband coming to the live events. Matt writes in and he says, that Jerry J tape that you reposted is amazing. What an incredible talk. I have shared it with many others. Thank you for making it available. Thank you for making it available. Need more than need more like that from the archives of AA Classics. Thanks. Well, you are quite welcome, Matt. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And just so you know, if anybody else is looking for that one, in our uh, catalog is called Jerry J. Texas Lawyer Finds a Way Out. Ella writes in and she says, Hi, my name, hi, John. My name is Ella C. And I am an alcoholic. I have been in the program of AA since April 27th of 2015. I love the Sober Speak podcast, and I'm so grateful to have found it. Thanks for all you do to provide these stories. I would like to be added also to the Super Secret Facebook group. Thank you again. Kinds regards, Ella. We, As you know, Ella, we got that invite out to you, and I'm so glad you were able to join. Okay, now Christina DM'd me on the IG. Now, for those of you who may not be able to pick that up, who aren't as cool as I am, that means that Ella sent me a direct message in the Instagram app. Pretty cool sounding right there, don't you think? Anyway, she says, thank you, John. Um, I wanted to message you because your podcast has helped me a lot. I listened to it in Columbia when it wasn't easy to get to a meeting and my parents, well, by the way, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of partake in something called uh, Colombian a long time ago, but that's, uh, you know, that's another point. But I, anyway, she says, when it wasn't easy to get to the meetings and my parents actually listened to some of the episodes and it helped them understand a little bit more about the program. Oh, that's great. I really love the episodes with Arlena A. and Brenda J., uh, the quote, God loves me and everything is going to be okay, quote, has gotten me through many moments in my year of sobriety. And that is from Arlena A. Well, thank you. I'm so glad, Christina, that you got to... Uh, Listen to both those episodes and the others. And thank you so much for writing in to me, for DMing me on the IG. All right, everybody. That is another episode. Down the drain. Is that how we put it? Uh, another episode in the books. That probably sounds better. Down the drain sounds a little bit, uh, I don't know, like final, final like, uh, I don't know, just doesn't sound as great. So I'll quit talking now. Love you guys. I'll probably be back next week. Like I always say, one week at a time. God bless you. Love you. And uh, feel free to re reach out to me at any time you would like and give any kind of feedback you would like. I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Or obviously you can find me on Instagram at SoberSpeak, all one word.